Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia, whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at HACIAWorks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. We did it. We made it to another weekend. Coming up, we've heard Fall TV is going to be full of reality shows because of the writers and actors strikes, but reality TV is facing a reckoning of its own. I do not have the idiot guide to starting a union in one day, but I will learn quickly. But first, it's our chance to sit back and unwind from the week with two excellent humans. With us today, we have Anne Helen Peterson, the host of the Crooked Media podcast, Work Appropriate, who writes the Culture Study newsletter. Anne, hello. It is a pleasure to be here. Oh my gosh, it's a pleasure to have you. Also here is Vulture's podcast critic, Nick Kwa. Nick, hello. Hello, we're alive. Incredible. (laughs) Incredible. Okay, so before we get to the stories that y'all actually prepared for, I have a very strange and very quick like fake pop quiz, which is this week, the Washington Post wrote a feature about the official Guinness book record holder for the world's oldest living chicken. She's Mm. at a farm in Michigan. Her name is Mm. Peanut. How old is she and what is her favorite breakfast? Anne, what do you think? Okay. This is so unfair. I'm going to take this in a different direction altogether because (laughs) I was about to get really excited because there was a different Guinness book (laughs) record that was broken this past weekend. And it was for the longest, um, like, Philly sub, like, hoagie. Amazing. And it was was in my hometown of Lewiston, Idaho. And like, there's no place less oh, like no Philly. Doesn't make any sense. There's no place less Philly than Lewiston, Idaho. And they just like <laughs> set it out. I I have to drive out there. I'm, I'm so they, I'm so. Uh, they set now. it out like the length of the street, like so long, so long. They oh get like God. pounds and pounds of meat, and then oh. they donated all the proceeds to the local boys and girls club. But um, okay. what if the the favorite meal of the chicken? Is that that Philly sub? <laughs> that is my that's guess. A, that's a really good deflection and subsequent guess. Was the was the proceeds the actual sub itself? <laughs> like, did that get donated? <laughs> no, I think that like people from Lewiston came to eat part of the probably not that good sub, and then like paid for it. And I think it was ten thousand dollars that they made off of it. Oh, so that's a good stunt. Oh, a wow. good stunt. Nick, do you have any sense of a chicken's lifespan? I did not. So this is the oldest chicken in the world, yeah. you said? Hmm. I I don't. I my I had I have friends who like raise chickens. Yeah. I have never talked in depth about the <laughs> lifespan of a chicken. But for this specific question, I'm just gonna guess like like twenty one because yes. it's the drinking yes. age. Oh yes. Yes. Really? You got it. That's amazing. That's really amazing. Uh, Incredible. Wow. Have a have a Budweiser <laughs> wow. chicken. Peanut is twenty one years old and she really likes blueberry yogurt for breakfast. Which is adorable. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Isn't that sweet? 
and hoagies. Okay, let's get down to business. We're going to start with some podcast news because Nick, I know you're really thrilled about this one. Uh, Strike Force 5 is a show hosted by a bunch of late night hosts, Stephen Colbert, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Seth Meyers, and John Oliver, some of the most excellent white men we can think of. Uh, it's a mini series about how they are dealing with the actors and writers strikes and the profits from the show are going to help pay for their striking staff. I think I like that this is happening, but I'm not sure that I need to listen to it. Nick, mm. as the professional, where do you fall on this one? I fall exactly where you are. Like, I like the fight exists, the, the construction of it to benefit their uh, staffs, uh, because I believe some of them, at least some, not, I'm not so sure it's all of them, but at least a few of those hosts have been paying their staff out of mm. pocket through the strike. Um, so it's nice that they sort of, you know, have cobbled together this financial engine to uh, help with that a little bit. Um, in terms of just like the, <laughs> the actual product itself, I, you know, put in about 10 minutes. I'm like, I'm good. I'm, I'm fine. I don't need this. I don't have a relationship with late night myself mm, anymore. Same. Anyway, I'm, I'm out. Um, so who is this for? Yeah. Whoever is going to be the people who end up paying for the staff. So I'm just, I'm happy in theory that it exists, mm-hmm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Is Strike Show an intriguing genre to you in general? Uh, I think to some extent. So there's a podcast called Script Notes, which is uh, hosted by Craig Mizen and mm-hmm. John August. Mm-hmm. Um, John August being, um, I think, on the actual WJ sort of bargaining committee. He's been doing these little, it's usually like a show about screenwriting uh, and, you know, making film and television. But since the strike has started, they've done this little sidecast, is what they call them, where they have little dispatches, um, you know, explaining certain technical aspects of the strikes, technical aspects of negotiation, scenes from the ground, that kind of thing is super interesting from a like an archival standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, but in terms of, uh, you know, people talking about strike stuff, like this is going to go for, it seems like it's going to go for a mm-hmm. while. So um, there's only so much incremental information that can be produced. Yeah, that's true. So, Anne, I mean, you think a lot about unions and workers' life, workers' rights and work-life balance and all that good stuff. Is this something you would listen to? Hmm. <laughs> no, because I, I think I would rather listen to, um, I don't know, people talking more, like, I, the, I'm less interested in the, the quotidian days of, like, a famous mm. person who's already comfortable and more interested in people talking about right. the dynamics and that sort of thing. For sure. Okay, so in other content news, the trailer for Meg Ryan's new rom-com was released this week. She's directing it to her co-star is David Duchovny. They're like exes who run into each other at an airport and are stuck at the airport for a very long time. This does look extremely charming. I mean, I haven't seen, she, Meg Ryan especially was like the rom-com queen for a very long time, but it's been a while. Um, Anne, is this something you would leave your house to go see at a theater? Like, how excited are you about it? Oh, I mean, leaving my... So I live on an island now. And <laughs> so, like, leaving my house to go see something in the theater it has to be, like... It has to be significant. That involves, like, four <laughs> forms of transit. <laughs> yeah, I used to, like, go see everything in the theater. But I think that uh, this, is a, this is an at-home rental, but mm-hmm. one that I will be eager to consume. Mm-hmm. It From the trailer, it looks like a very classic subgenre of the the rom-com genre which is the comedy of remarriage and it, it like it's not clear if they do get back together or they don't or they're just talking through it but like two people who were married who haven't seen each other in a while meet again and everything that brought them together in the first place like still there they don't loathe each other although we see through the trailer that there are things that happened that made them really sad with one another mm-hmm. I, you know, all of the discourse around Meg's, Meg Ryan over the past 10 years 
for better or for worse, has been about her face, right? Mm, like yeah. how she has um, used cosmetic surgery in ways that make her seem like an uncanny version of herself. It's true. And this is the this is such a hard thing with aging, right? Is like yeah. if w- women try to keep up with the norms, like they they can't win with that. No. And if they don't keep up with the norms, they're effectively uncastable. So I think that this is her re-entry she looks like you see her face and you're like that's Meg Ryan right like she mm-hmm. looks very much like Meg, Meg Ryan the last thing I'll note is that David Duchovny's face in this he looks older and yeah. like I like yeah. that mm-hmm. I think there is a sweetness to that for sure yeah yeah um Nick what about you would you see go to this in a theater oh yeah I mean I I, I don't live in an island but I live in, <laughs> in, in an island of the soul so I'm uh <laughs> taking every opportunity to like hit a theater this is probably like you know, the perfect thing for my local indie theater here in Boise. Mm, uh, shout out yeah. to the flicks. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, first of all, I love these kinds of movies. I love mm-hmm. airport movies, I'm a big mm-hmm. up in the air head. I'm a big terminal head, <laughs> um, big Duchovny guy. I'm mm-hmm. always rooting for Meg Ryan. You know, she's, she's had like a tough, two, like I think decade and a half at this point, like just from at a, least. yeah, mm-hmm. from a career perspective, like the last movie that I kind of liked from her was Kate and Leopold. And that was like maybe 2004. It's been a while. Right. Yeah. yeah. And this, well, I think there was also her... a scandal, if you guys remember. Ooh, I, I do remember. not remember the scandal. Oh, okay. So she was married to Dennis Quaid. Right. And mm-hmm. then she made this movie with Russell Crowe, the name of which I can't really remember. But she was making this movie and it was like, and... Russell Crowe like rescues people in some capacity. What I really remember about Proof this of movie, life. Yes. Is that <laughs> Russell Crowe's arms looked really good mm. and Meg Ryan was wearing like a um a tank top the entire time. Mm. Uh and they had she an looks affair. Good in tank tops. They had an affair and it was not managed well. Oof. And so that was part of like this discourse around her was like, oh, like she's not like America's sweetheart anymore. That was, uh, yeah, I think that was also a David Morse. That's a, a, if I'm not mistaken, that was Proof of Life yes. from 2000, I believe. Oh, wow, 100%. Nick. Yeah. That is a very good memory. Well, you know what it makes me think of is the movie that came out last year, which is called Ticket to Paradise, that had George Clooney and Julia Roberts, who mm, admitted, right. I mean, are like much different tiers of stars and have not aged a like tiniest bit. They both still look perfect, but it was mm-hmm. they both just like ooze so much charm that it was so much fun to watch it. And I think this one is going to do something similar. And I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, I mean, these these stars still resonate very strongly with elder millennials, Gen mm-hmm, X, mm-hmm. boomers, right? Like, they mm-hmm. are the stars' faces that will always be on the tabloids because the tabloids are always catering to the people who are <laughs> right. the demographic that we are aging into. Yeah, it's and, a nostalgia grab, and I'm okay with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like, like, do you remember um, when... Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez got together and like oh. I was so excited. Mm-hmm. I was like just, again? Like, the I, first I time or, or the most the recent second time. time? The second yes, time. It was beautiful. And it I was love beautiful. it. Like, the discourse on Twitter at that time was like why are these old so excited about this? And you're like <laughs> you don't understand. You wouldn't get it. I, I really do not care for the disrespect from the youths anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah right. Well <laughs> I'm rewatching Suits. 
Oh my God, I just started <laughs> since last night. You and everybody night. else. <laughs> was it, is it Sam Sanders' fault? What happened? Did Netflix uh, just it's Netflix's, push it's it? Netflix's fault. It's yeah. Netflix's yeah. fault. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, mine is kind of meta because I learned that everyone is rewatching Suits and that it's like the number two streaming thing on Like it broke all these records, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, do I need to watch Suits? And I've yeah. been looking for a replacement for Law and Order SVU. And <laughs> oh, this is much more right sunnier. Uh, yes. Oh my God, that's really it. Does make funny. me miss the USA Blue Sky like era, the uh, bird notice suits, oh, uh, I loved uh, white collars, a couple of those. Yep. Yes. Uh, those are good shows. Oh my God, that's so funny. Well, I'm glad we're all watching Suits. That feels right. So another story that caught our attention this week is from the New York Times. It opens with a couple of anecdotes about how tech bros in the city can't handle drinking cocktails out of fancy glasses with stems. This is infuriating, but also exhausting. I understand that masculinity is extremely fragile and must be upheld at all times. Um, Nick, if you were a cocktail glass, which shape of glass would you be? I, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's I'm I'm a coupe because oh, yeah, I, coupe. I like to be cradled. <laughs> That's such a good answer. I was like, this question is dumb. We're probably gonna cut it out. And then that was an amazing answer, Nick. Well, Greta, what are you? <laughs> I don't even know. Or you know what I would be? No, I would be a ball jar that you drink wine out of. Mm. Mm. Took me a second to get there. What do you think? <laughs> I mean, my like clever Nick answer is that I would be like a martini glass because I I'm clumsy and I tip over and that sort of thing. Um, uh, so you're very unstable when full. <laughs> but probably I am like one of the insulated wine travel things, travel mugs. Oh, that's fun. I like that. Oh, that's so, that's so good. So yeah, versatile. Like, yeah, versatile. Um, just doesn't give a fuck. It's like, well, I'm taking this wine with me. Like, we're walking down the street. Let's go. No one can tell if it's wine, it's water, whatever. Mm, my, my belated uh, response to the martini thing is, spills the tea easily. Oh! Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Y'all are my absolute favorites. This was very fun. Will you please come back? I love you both so much. Thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure. My pleasure. In just a minute, some very high-profile lawyers have made some very strong claims about exploitation in reality TV. We're going to hear the latest right after the break. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. A reckoning may be coming for reality television. Reality television exploits affairs, bankruptcy, falling off the wagon. Just because Hollywood and the entertainment industry can exploit this green talent, does that mean they should? 
I do not have the idiot guide to starting a union in one day, but I will learn quickly. That's Bravo Network star Bethany Frankel. She is calling for a reality revolution, and she is not alone. This month, two big-time celebrity attorneys sent a letter to Bravo's parent company, NBC Universal, alleging that they have, quote, exceeded the moral and legal limits permissible in a civilized society. As the writers and actor strikes continue, is it possible that change could also come for reality TV? To walk us through what's happening, we have Claudia Rosenbaum. She writes about pop culture legal news for Vulture, and she also just so happens to be a lawyer. Claudia, welcome to the show. Hey, Greta. Thanks for having me. So tell us about this letter. Was it? What does it mean for NBC? Yeah, so Mark Garagos and Brian Friedman, two high-powered attorneys, mm-hmm. you know, both accustomed to the Hollywood spotlight and both accustomed to representing A-list celebrities. Garagos has represented, you know, in the past, Winona Ryder, Michael Jackson, Chris Brown, and Brian Friedman, Alanis Morissette, Diplo, Chris Harrison, mm-hmm. when he was let go from The Bachelor. Um, they sent a letter on August 3rd, earlier this month, to NBC's general counsel, Um, outlining a range of, they say, behavior on their shows that um, they say, you know, NBC is a pattern of grotesque and depraved mistreatment of its reality stars, and that individuals on the shows have been mentally and physically victimized by NBC if they come forward with details of their mistreatment. And that sort of letter is just to preserve potentially relevant evidence in anticipation of future litigation. But, the you know, the letter was made public to the media. And so it's just interesting that they chose that tact. I think a lot of people normally expect in these sort of situations that the lawsuit comes first and, you know, which sort of gets retold in the media. Mm, interesting. So I feel like a lot of what's being alleged isn't particularly surprising, right? Like I don't even watch reality TV, but I did love the scripted drama Unreal that came out several years ago (laughs) now. But, you know, even I am not surprised by the idea that people on these shows are, you know, intoxicated so that they're more vulnerable or that their personal lives are being exploited. I mean, the word exploitation makes a lot of sense in in this context. Don't you think too that, that that is in a lot of ways kind of integral to what reality TV just is? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like on The Real Housewives, there's always like somebody throwing a drink in somebody else's face or banging on the table or doing this behavior that, you know, probably they wouldn't do if they hadn't been drinking. And there was this recent controversy on Below Deck um, Down Under when, you know, it's typically a super yacht crew um, works really hard for a couple of days. And then they have this day off where they go off drinking and usually, you know, consensually hook up with each other. Sure. And then on this show, um, this episode, things got a little out of hand and, you know, one crew member was completely naked and was trying to get into another crew member's room who was, you know, for all intensive purposes, like, you know, very drunk and maybe passed out too. production you know, didn't immediately step in and immediately remove the, you know, the naked crew member from um, the woman's room. And he was, you know, promptly fired. And so was, you know, another person that had done things, you know, that they alleged were inappropriate. Okay. So there are instances where production does take quick action. Um, And and also you you had asked earlier about NBC, Hmm. you know, they have issued their statement saying that they are committed to maintaining, you know, a safe and respectful workplace for cast and crews. 
And, you know, they don't film the shows themselves. It's not their production company that does it. They have outside production companies. But they say, you know, they work with their third-party production partners to make sure their appropriate workplace training in place and, you know, will investigate any instance, you know, and encourage people to come forward if there are, you know, mistreatment or issues. Interesting. So, yeah, that makes me wonder about the producers and the production companies themselves because, I mean, I don't know. I'm just kind of trying to figure out who's at fault. And I know this is a really complicated one and maybe that's not even the right language to be using, but I just think about like how much pressure some of these producers must be under to, to help foster the drama that everybody's tuning in for. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely like a fine line that, you know, they have to walk in terms of like letting reality actually happen, you know, and not getting involved, but then also stepping in when, you know, things cross the line and knowing that that if they don't, you know, they're going to be under the microscope. It's so interesting. So yeah, I'd love to go back to the Bethany Frankel thing. Like, can you talk a little more about what theoretical protections could exist for talent in these situations? Well, Bethany Frankel, as we know, was, you know, on for years, Real Housewives of New York. And um, she recently went on her podcast. I, I think she feels that she was taken advantage of. She said, you know, for the first season of the show that she just got paid like $7,250 for her season. Wow. And now she watches it get replayed over and over. And she feels that she should get compensated for that. She should get residuals for the streamings and so on. And she thinks... That should be also the case for other people on those reality shows. That's so interesting because that is exactly what actors and writers are striking over right now. I mean, among other things, but that's a huge one. So we should say, too, this is also a lot bigger than just NBC or Bravo. A contestant on Love is Blind filed a lawsuit against Netflix last year alleging inhumane working conditions and that cast members were deprived of food, water and sleep. Do you think that this is like a moment of reckoning that could reach farther than just one network? You know, especially with the fact that right now a lot of us are relying on reality TV for entertainment, considering there aren't scripted programs that are airing right now that are that are new and coming out with a strike, that it is definitely putting reality shows under the microscope. Mm. The lawyers have said that a lot of other people have come forward to them and reported allegations, but none of that has been made public. So whether it encompasses um, a wider range of people or individuals, it's really unclear right now until we get a, a little bit more information. That's fair. So are you a reality TV fan? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Actually, after this phone call, I think I want to catch up on Below Jack Down Under because I've missed the last two episodes. Uh, I mean, it sounds like some things are happening over there. <laughs> Definitely they are. I mean, to me, I'm like I said, I watch these shows, you know, Real Housewives and Blow Jack, and they they're giving a lot more heart and soul into it than a scripted drama. Yeah. Well, and they're they're showing up and they're doing yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're definitely laying their lives on the line and a lot of the times, you know, their lives get ruined in the process. Hmm. Uh, you know, they go away to jail, they get divorced. That is a really interesting argue. Like you could definitely argue the stakes are higher because they don't have, you know, it is their real lives. Yeah. The, the stakes are definitely higher 
Um, you know, any small thing in their past comes out and, you know, every season somebody's lives looks like they're ruined on their show. So they're, they're definitely risking a lot more than just, you know, someone who's reading a script for just a regular show. That was Claudia Rosenbaum, lawyer and pop culture writer. Her story for Vulture was called Reality TV's Reckoning is Coming. And we are very curious to see if a lawsuit does in fact happen in the coming weeks. All right, that's it for this week. We are somehow in September, which means we have an author interview coming up this Tuesday for book club. It is with Angie Kim and it's about her new book, Happiness Falls. I can't wait for you to hear the interview and I can't wait for you to read that book. Also, the people have spoken. That's you. You're the people. And we are going to check in with Dr. Emily Landon next week about what the heck is going on with COVID right now. We would love to know if you have any questions for her. We are collecting them in our Facebook group, Nerdette Headquarters, which you can join if you go to facebook.com slash groups slash HQ. But of course, we always love to hear your voices in these conversations as well. So we would be extra excited if you would send us a voice memo with your question. You can do that by recording yourself on your smartphone and then email that file to nerdatpodcast at gmail.com. And we are going to do our best to get you as many answers as possible. Nerdette is produced by me and Anna Bauman at WBEZ in Chicago and is part of the NPR network. And Brendan Banaszak is our executive producer. We will see you on Tuesday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.